0: Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Happy Thanksgiving. Uh, welcome to the Highway Community. We're really glad that you are spending part of your holiday weekend with us uh, as we gather together here for worship. Well, the uh, the Thanksgiving meal is over. Uh, now only the leftovers remain, uh, which is better news for some of us than others, I think. Uh, and now uh, the Christmas season is here in full force. Uh, last week. We finished a seven-week teaching series through Paul's letter to the Colossians entitled Centered, where we were exploring what it means to locate Christ at the center of our lives and allow him to deeply inform the way that we live. And so this morning, on the heels of all of that, as as we enter into all of the chaos that is the Christmas season, we're going to start a new teaching series aimed at keeping us centered in Christ through it all. It's called the Songs of Advent. And to get us started, uh, Nick is going to play a song for us called A Song Can Be About Anything. Take a listen. Thanks, Nick. Well, A Song Can Be About Anything was written by Dan Wilson, uh, who's probably best known uh, for a song that was hugely popular in the late 1990s that he wrote for his band Semisonic called Closing Time, uh, as well as co-writing the song Someone Like You with Adele, uh, which was both the number one single as well as the 2012 Grammy Award winner for Album of the Year. When he was asked in an interview about the story behind that song, about the story behind a song can be about anything. Dan Wilson said that the song started with him simply singing those words at the piano as he was playing through some chords. And so, very much like the lyric suggests, he was basically just sitting there casting about for an idea for a song. But then, as he began to write what he thought was just going to be a list of what songs could be about, like the second grade or TV news, something happened. As he continued to write, the song got more and more personal. And it wound up evolving into a song about someone who had once been close to him that he had lost touch with. And so what started out as this song that was about this very lighthearted list of things turned into something very poignant through the process of writing. But what I really like about that song is the way that it reminds us that while a song can be about anything, every song ultimately has something as its inspiration. Every song ultimately has something as its inspiration, whether it's the discontents of fame or how people first met in the strangest way or a dream of something that's being waited for. The Israelites, living in the first century, were definitely dreaming of and waiting for something. For centuries, as a result of their disobedience, God's people had been living under foreign control. Starting when the Babylonians conquered Jerusalem and destroyed the temple somewhere around 597 B.C. God promised during that time through the voice of the prophets that one day he would deliver his people out of exile. He promised that one day he would send a savior. But even after the Israelites were allowed to return to their land and rebuild the temple after the Persians defeated the Babylonians, they were still living under foreign control. And worse, because of their disobedience, their continued disobedience, God had gone silent. He hadn't spoken for 400 years. And and so the Israelites were left waiting, waiting, wondering whether or not God would speak again, wondering whether or not God would come again, wondering whether God would indeed fulfill his promises. And so given all of that, You know, it's not surprising that when the angels came and broke the silence, you know, when the angels came and announced that the long-awaited Savior was actually coming, you know, it's not surprising at all that it inspired songs, Uh, five of them, in fact. And in these weeks leading up to Christmas, we're going to be looking together at each of these songs of Advent, these songs inspired by what the Israelites were dreaming of and waiting for, which was the coming of the Messiah. And we're going to start this morning at the beginning of the story. time when Zechariah's division of priests was on duty, he was chosen by Lot to burn incense in the temple. And, and while he was doing that, while he was inside the temple, Luke says that an angel of the Lord appeared to him. And Zechariah was startled and afraid. Luke chapter 1, verse 13 says, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. It's hard to imagine how disorienting all of this must have been for Zechariah. Here he was in the middle of carrying out his priestly duty. When all of a sudden an angel appears and tells him that he and Elizabeth are going to have a son that they are to call John, which means God is gracious. And then, as if all of that weren't enough, in and of itself, you this idea that Elizabeth, that he and Elizabeth were actually going to have a child at their age, as if all of that weren't enough, the angel goes on then to tell him that this child will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to make the people prepared. And so this is huge news, not only for Zechariah and Elizabeth. It's huge news for Israel as well. Now, given both the difficulties that he and Elizabeth had had trying to conceive and the fact that God had been silent for hundreds of years, it's not surprising that Zechariah was skeptical about all of this. And so he asks the angel for a sign which turns out actually not to be a great decision. Look at Luke chapter one, verse 19. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you do not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. And so after very clearly offending angel Gabriel, Zechariah gets his son. And I think it's safe to assume that it was not the son that he was hoping to receive when he asked. Now, his sign is now that he won't be able to speak until John is born. He won't be able to speak until John is born. And so Zechariah has this incredible experience, right? He gets this great news, but he can't tell anyone. And I love the way that Luke describes this in verse 22. It says, when he came out of the temple, he could not speak to them, to the people that were waiting for him to emerge. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but was unable to speak. And so Luke describes Zechariah here as coming out of the temple, and it's it's like he immediately finds himself in the most impossible round of charades ever imagined. Now how would you even begin to explain and describe the appearance of an angel using only your hands and arms? I think that must have been something to see. And so so Zechariah is silent because of his unbelief. Elizabeth becomes pregnant, time passes, and she gives birth to a son. Luke chapter 1, verse 59 says, on the eighth day after John's birth, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. They said to her, there is no one among your relatives with that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, He wrote, his name is John. His name is John. And the verb there is telling. And notice that Zechariah doesn't say, his name shall be called John. Instead, he says, his name is John. As in, already. His name is already John. And that indicates that the name had already been established earlier that like it had already been established specifically when the angel had announced his coming in the temple. And so Zechariah's response is effectively his way of testifying to his encounter with the angel Gabriel. And then verse 64 says, after John writes that, immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free. And he began to speak, praising God. Immediately, Mouth was open. Luke says that Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. And his silence, his nine months of silence, was broken with a song. A song that has come to be known as the Benedictus, after the Latin translation of the first word. Look at it with me, beginning in Luke chapter 1, verse 68. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare a way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace." Now, we definitely get the sense, I think, from that song that Zechariah is someone who who has thought deeply and thought for a long time about both the struggles Israel had endured and was enduring as well as God's promises to his people. And now, all these things that that he and Israel had hoped for and longed for and prayed for, all of these things were now finally going to come true. And the two stanzas of Zechariah's song really celebrate that. The first stanza praises God because he has once again visited his people. And in doing so, has moved to remember his covenant and fulfilled his promise to raise up a Savior. Look again with me at verse 68. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Zechariah's reference there to the horn of salvation from the house of David establishes a connection between everything that's happening in the present and the promise God made through the prophets. Now, the fact that the prophets had promised that the coming deliverer would be from the line of David had grown to become very significant to the Israelites because David's reign David's reign, represented the golden age of Israel. And that's what they longed to return to as a nation. And so as they waited for God's promise, as they as they suffered under foreign empire, after foreign empire, after foreign empire, their, their hope for the promised savior and their understanding of what the promised savior would do took on an increasingly political focus. But the Israelites were longing for the day when God would rescue them from their enemies and restore their nation to prominence like it was under David. We definitely see that reflected here as this first stanza unfolds. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, To rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. And so Zechariah's song very much celebrates Israel's hope for deliverance from their enemies. And it celebrates their hope for a new Exodus that would enable them to serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness for the rest of their days. But, as the focus of Zechariah's song shifts in the second stanza to his son John, we see that his vision for salvation extends well beyond deliverance from Israel's enemies. Look again at verse 76. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for Him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And so we see there that for Zechariah both John's arrival and his ministry point to something Both John's arrival and his ministry point to something bigger. John's ministry among the Israelites is just the beginning. It will ready the hearts of the people for salvation through the forgiveness of sins. It will prepare the way for God's tender mercy to manifest itself in the coming of the Messiah, which Zechariah describes here really beautifully as the rising sun that will come from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and guide our feet into the path of peace. Now, one of the most interesting things about Zechariah's story here in Luke chapter 1, I think, is the way that it mirrors on a smaller scale what's going on in Israel. One of the most interesting things about Zechariah's story here in Luke chapter 1 is the way that it mirrors on a smaller scale what was going on in Israel. Through Zechariah's story, we actually see Israel's story being acted out. We see Israel's story being acted out. Zechariah's silence for nine months mirrors the silence of the prophets. And his song effectively breaks that silence. It breaks the silence with the good news that God has spoken again, and that the one coming to prepare the way for salvation has arrived. Now, the fact that the Holy Spirit fills Zechariah and breaks this great period of silence with the song is significant. And it's significant, I think, because of the way that songs function. It's significant because of the way that songs function. Songs have a unique way of helping us remember. Songs are memorable. Now, when I was in Honduras a couple of weeks ago, we were at a cafe in Copan when someone got to talking about their parents drinking MJB coffee. Now, I hadn't heard the name of that brand in years, probably decades, actually. But as soon as I heard it mentioned, as soon as I heard those words, those letters, MJB, you know, immediately the old jingle from the television commercial was on my tongue. Does anybody remember that? MJB tastes good as it should. <laughs> That's the power of a song. right? Songs help us remember. Sometimes the strangest things. Right? But songs help us remember. But songs don't just help us remember things. They also help us remember experiences, and circumstances, and people, and feelings. The you know, songs have, have a unique ability to teleport us to a place. You know, for me, uh, when I hear the song Don't Stop Believing," by Journey, Which which has made a real comeback over the past couple of years, thanks in part at least to the San Francisco Giants. But when I hear Don't Stop Believing, I'm instantly taken back to my bedroom in the house that we lived in in Arizona. That's the record that I was playing the night that a realtor was showing our house to the family that eventually bought it before we moved back to California. That song evokes a very specific memory a very specific set of feelings. When I hear songs from the Pretender's album, The Isle of View, I'm teleported back to a rainy day in February when I was driving uh, to an interview with a consultant who was conducting an assessment of the senior leadership at my home church during the time that I was serving on the staff. Right? And, and those songs bring back feelings of of, of nervous anticipation that I was feeling going into that interview. When I hear songs from Sheryl Crow's album, Come On, Come On, I remember flying home from a ministry trip to Honduras in the summer of 2004 and being excited, filled with excitement to see my wife and kids after being gone for 12 days. My daughter Shelby was just a few weeks old at the time. But when I hear songs from that album, I'm teleported to that place. And so songs have this ability to take us places. They have the ability to take us places, to evoke specific memories and feelings. And Zechariah's song here in Luke chapter 1 is meant to function in the very same way. It's meant to function in the very same way. It's meant to teleport us to this huge moment in history. To teleport us to the good news that's at the very core of the season of Advent. The good news that the silence has been broken. The good news that hope is coming. And that's important. And it's important because just like the Israelites, we oftentimes also find ourselves waiting. We oftentimes, just like the Israelites, find ourselves waiting. Waiting for God to move. Waiting for provision. Waiting for healing in relationships. Waiting for healing from addiction. Waiting for healing from physical and emotional. Waiting for circumstances to change. Waiting for a reversal to the overwhelming chaos of our world and the reminders that are all around us that, that things are not the way that they're supposed to be. And the holidays can, can really magnify and intensify all of that. Which is why next Sunday, 7 p.m. at our Palo Alto campus, uh, which meets at the Palo Alto Church of Christ on Middlefield Road, we'll be hosting the Longest Night Gathering, uh, which is a space where where we can engage with the pain and the struggle that often accompany the holidays and acknowledge God's presence in the midst of, of the darkness. And so if you identify with that or want to come alongside others who are struggling, I want to encourage you to join us next Sunday uh, as we as we gather together. But Zechariah's song and the season of Advent powerfully and profoundly remind us that despite the way that it might feel sometimes, despite the way that it might feel sometimes, God isn't silent. He isn't silent, and so while we may find ourselves waiting, we can wait. With expectation we can wait and hope and we can wait with expectation and hope because the Savior we're reminded in the season of Advent that the Savior has come and he is coming again as he promised to bring redemption and restoration in full Nick and the band are gonna come and close us this morning Time of reflection, and this morning, as as we enter into this season of Advent, I want to give you a chance, give us all a chance, to experience this story that we've looked at together. I want to give you a chance to experience this story, and so we're going to enter into a period of silence, a symbolic of the silence that Israel. Zechariah experienced. We're going to enter into a period of silence and then after we sit in that for a while and have a chance to feel that that silence is going to be broken by a song. Uh, a song of hopeful expectation for the coming of the Savior which the band will lead and will sing together. So we'll sit in silence we'll break that silence with a song and then after we sing, we're going to join Christ followers around the world by lighting the first of the candles of Advent, the Hope Candle, as part of the longstanding church tradition that brings focus to the coming of Christ and everything that came with Him. And so as we reflect this morning, would you close your eyes with me and join me?